It's good to see you all here today with us. Some of you I haven't seen for a little while, and it's good to see you once again. This is uh, from the beginning of the year when we planned all of our services for the year. This was to be our Christmas service, uh, which would normally happen tonight with a candlelight service and with carols and preaching and gathering together downstairs for some uh, food and, and fellowship with each other. We can't do all those things, but praise God, we can still come here into the sanctuary and hear a Christmas message even in the midst of Philippians. I don't have to go anywhere else in the Bible today. You know, sometimes I have to do that. If I'm currently in a series and then Christmas comes, I have to change what I've been talking about to talk about a more Christmas-oriented message. Well, I don't have to do that today. We can just continue right on in our study of the book of Philippians. Because today we're going to see one of the greatest texts in all the Bible that show us who Jesus is. Philippians chapter 2 is one of the greatest pictures of who Jesus is. It's a lot like John chapter 1, where John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. That's the Christmas message right there. Well, we have the same sort of proclamation and truth in Philippians chapter 2. So we you turn to that with me, Philippians 2, we're going to read verse 5 to 11 today. The sermon is titled, He Humbled Himself. And it's actually a Christmas hymn. And we'll see why that is in just a moment. He humbled himself. So let's find Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And in honor of our Savior and His Word, let's stand together as I read this for us all today. Paul, continuing with the discussion about humility, now says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You may be seated. Aren't you happy that God never leaves Jesus in that manger scene in Bethlehem? And God never leaves Jesus fixed on the cross as many churches in the world still have Him. The story is not finished until Jesus is alive and exalted to the throne of heaven. That's what God wants us to see, especially today. He humbled Himself a Christmas hymn. 
A couple of weeks ago, we entered into a new chapter of Philippians, chapter 2. And with that, we discovered a new character of the Christian life. And that is humility. It wasn't a brand new concept because we, we find the need for humility in everything that Paul has been teaching us already in the book of Philippians. In chapter 2, however, Paul shines a light on humility and describes it now with explicit language and with practical language. So in our last sermon, the beginning of chapter 2, we learned that we in humility are to love one another sacrificially. Not with self-centeredness, not with selfish ambition, not with conceitedness, but with lowliness of mind. Considering each other better than yourself. And always looking out for the interests of others. That's humility described. But going beyond these descriptive words defining what humility is, Paul now gives us a perfect illustration. Not to just tell us what it is, but to now show you by illustration what is humility. And it's not just any Ill illustration, but one that perfectly teaches us. And one that perfectly displays for us humility to the fullest sense of the word. And that illustration, Paul says, just look at Jesus. That's your illustration of humility. As many of you know, I'm a chaplain at a Christian school here in Samarang. And one of the things that we do from one month to the next is we teach a new character every month. And as we teach that character, we look at what the Bible says about that character and, and how we can probably or most likely demonstrate that, own, that character in our own lives. And so from one month to the next, we'll, we'll learn things like being courageous, honesty, generosity, having gratitude, learning patience. And in all these characters, we always go through the Bible from the Old Testament into the New, and we look at examples of these things whether it's in Noah, or in Abraham, in Joseph, in David, Ruth, Deborah, many, many examples. In the New Testament, we have Paul and the disciples, but every time we teach a character, we always end with the ultimate example. And that is always Jesus Christ. You see, I can teach you about, let's say perhaps Abraham, and show you humility in Abraham's life. There's good examples. But I also have to admit, yeah, you can see some humility in Abraham, but remember, Abraham also made some mistakes and he didn't get it right all the time. He wasn't perfect by any means. And I'll have to say that about every character in the Bible that we come to. But not with Jesus. Jesus is the perfect illustration of all the character and the fruit of the Spirit that we can talk about. And we don't have to say, yes, but, or although he did this or that. No, he is perfect through and through. And Paul knows that. So the best way to demonstrate humility for Paul is to say, just look at Jesus. Now something I love, besides the 
the theology of what we're about to read. What I also love about this portion of text is that according to scholars who know biblical language better than I do, better than any of us do, they believe that what Paul is writing in these verses, he's actually writing poetry. He's actually writing the lyrics to a hymn that he's in explaining who Jesus is, there's a song that the church was singing in the days of Paul. And Paul said, let me describe you, Jesus. We're going to use this song that we sing every Sunday. And in our connect groups, just consider this song. Now, when we read this in English, we may not see the poetry in it. When you read it in maybe Bahasa, Indonesia, you may not see the poetry. But scholars see it in the Greek language of which it was written in. In fact, many Bibles, if you may have one today, many Bibles section off this text in italicized words because they believe Paul is quoting an early church hymn. And you know what I love about that? These words that we're reading today, they didn't just believe it, read it. They were singing it. They were singing these words that we are going over today. And once more, what I love is the fact that this Christian first century church hymn has also become our Christmas hymn for today. Now watch what this says. Paul begins the whole entire thing. He introduces what he is teaching by saying this verse. Let this mind this lowliness of mind, this humility that we're talking about, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, you ever notice when you're reading Paul or anywhere in the Bible, sometimes Jesus is called Jesus. Sometimes he's called Jesus Christ. Sometimes Christ Jesus, and sometimes just Christ. And you'll notice in Paul's writings, he calls him Christ Jesus a lot, or just Christ. Now, I don't know about every example in the New Testament, but many times at least, when the writer of the New Testament wrote Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, they did it purposely. Did you know that if we look at this verse, Christ Jesus, Christ is the divine name of Jesus. He is the anointed one of God, the one who came from heaven into this world. He is the Messiah. That is his divine name. Jesus is his human name. The angels told Joseph and Mary, when this child is born, you shall call him Jesus. And everybody that knew him in those days called him Jesus. That was his human name. And Paul does this purposely because he's teaching us today that it's Jesus who came down from heaven, humbled himself, and came into this world and became a man. Therefore, he is Christ who came into this world, Jesus. Every time he calls him Christ Jesus, we are reminded that God came down, that God became a man. 
that God took on flesh. Now, John, on the other hand, doesn't call him Christ Jesus. He refers to him mostly as just Jesus, or once in a while, Jesus Christ, because John knew the man, Jesus. He grew up with him. He talked with him. He touched him. He listened to him. He laid beside him. He was one of the best friends Jesus had. John knew the man, Jesus. But then he also calls him Jesus Christ. Because he, because he saw that man, Jesus, crucified, risen again, and exalted to the highest throne, Christ. And so at the beginning of our song today is significant. It begins with Christ, Jesus. God who humbled himself and became a man. In the song that we read of today, in this Christian hymn, he humbled himself. Let's look at three themes that they sang about in this hymn. Theme number one, we're going to see the person of Jesus. Theme number two, we will see his passion. Theme number three, we will see his position. One, two, and three. His person, his passion, his position. Ready? Let's begin. Number one, we see his person. Who is Jesus? Paul says, speaking of Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Paul says, being in the form of God. That word form doesn't just mean a, a molded image or a vessel that's been formed. Form literally means nature. So what Paul is talking about is the nature of Jesus. Who he is from the inside out. What is his nature? What is his attributes? Who is he as a person? Well, according to Paul, Jesus is God. His very nature, who he is, is God. That's what he means by he was in the form of God. So that all the words we might use to describe who God is, whether it's his infinite power, we talk about his majesty, his holiness, his glory, all those same words and attributes and characteristics can be applied to Jesus. He is God. Being in the form of God. That word being has no timetable to it. It's not limited by any time. In other words, Paul is not saying that Jesus was God. Or that Jesus became God. Or that Jesus will one day become God. No. Being in the form of God literally means that from everlasting into everlasting, Jesus is God. It never began that way. It will never end that way. It's always been. From eternity past into eternity future, Jesus is God. And he says that he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. 
Now for a moment, I used to be really confused by that phrase. Now when I just look at that phrase, I, I can understand what Paul is saying, but what really confuses me is that this is the New King James Version of the Bible I'm quoting, or I'm showing you. And I'm sure it's the same as the King James Version. But if you have an English Standard Version, or maybe an NIV Version, they say it a little differently. Instead of saying he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, the English Standard Version says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And when I looked at that, I thought, what? That seems like two completely different things. Why is it so different from one translation to another? And isn't it important if one translation is saying one thing and another is saying something completely different? But you know what the truth is? <laughs> both are correct. And both are equally wonderful to consider. Here's why. When the Bible, like I have, says that Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, that word robbery is harpagmas, and it literally means to seize, to snatch. The Bible says that when the Lord raptures us, it's the word harpazo. He's going to snatch us away. It's the same word, to take, to snatch, to seize, and to not let go. That word is used to describe what a thief does. He snatches something that doesn't belong to him. He seizes something that didn't belong to him, and he steals it away. Well, first of all, the Bible says, with that word in mind, that Jesus didn't consider it robbery. He wasn't stealing something from God by making himself equal with God. Now, do you remember an angel, one of the greatest created angels that God had ever made? According to Isaiah, his name was Lucifer. And do you remember what Lucifer wanted? He wanted to be like the Most High God. He wanted to be exalted as God is exalted. He wanted to sit on that throne to receive all the adoration of the worship of all the angels and all of God's creation. He wanted to be equal with God. But he could not. That was not his to have. He tried to steal the glory of God. And we all know what happened to him as a result. God cast him down from those heavenly places. Jesus, for him to be equal with God, he did not consider it robbery. Do you know why? Because equality with God is already his. It's already who he is. It's already in his possession. And if you own something, you can't steal it. That makes no sense. You can't steal something that already belongs to you. And so from my translation, it says, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he was equal to God. And we're talking about the Son and the Father. They are equal. But then what about that second one? The second translation is using that other definition of seizing and holding on to, grasping and not letting go. And so when it says that 
Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped onto, a thing to be held onto. What does that mean? It means that Jesus, the one who is eternally God, creator, worshiped by all the heavenly hosts, the majesty, the glorious one, the beloved of heaven, when it came time to save mankind, Jesus didn't cling onto his throne and say, no, 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 can't do it. I won't do it. Jesus didn't cling on to his robes of splendor. He didn't cling on to all the worship of the angels and season and say, no, I won't do it. No, the Bible teaches that he laid it aside. His glory, his crown, his robe, his throne. He laid it aside. He didn't hold on to it. He laid it aside and came into this world. Either way you translate that word, both of them speak of beauty. Both of them speak of Jesus equal to the Father. It says not only did he not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form, there's that word again, form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. When God the Son came into this world, do you know he could have come in all his glorious splendor? And if he did, the world would have melted below his feet. The world would have been consumed by his glory and holiness. He could have come as a king, set up a castle on top of the highest mountain and shouted from the top, you all must worship me now. He could have done that, but he didn't. When he entered the world, he came not only as a man, but even more than that, a servant. Paul says, when you think about Jesus being in the form of God. His very nature is God. At the same time, when he came, he was in the form of a bondservant. His very nature, he became a servant to the Father and to the world. So while he is fully God, in the fullest sense of that title, he was fully a servant of mankind to the fullest of that term as well. He wasn't always a man. He wasn't always a servant. It's what he became. It's what he made himself to be. It's what he took upon himself. When Jesus came to the earth, he never ceased to be God. In his humanity, he never lost his deity. He was the divine, eternal Son of God who added to himself flesh and blood, hunger and thirst, pain and suffering, joy and sadness. He was made in the likeness of men. And he experienced, as a true man, every experience we go through in life. He was born in a small town, 
in a lowly stable. His mother laid him in an unsanitary manger. And he was raised by a poor family. He went to school. He worked in the family business of carpentry. He got dirty. His hands, I picture them strong. But I also picture them somewhat rough and calloused from all that work he did as a young man. He went shopping for his mother at the food market. He rubbed shoulders with the crowds that were there. He fetched water for his family at the local wells. And he did it all with perfect love, patience, and kindness. Do you know Isaiah prophesied of when the Christ would come into the world? Isaiah had a vision of him. And according to Isaiah, Isaiah said, when he comes, there will be no beauty in his appearance. There'll be nothing special about his physical appearance. Nothing that would attract any of us to him. He made himself of no reputation. No special privileges. And if you were to take a crowd of Israelites, Galileans from the city of Nazareth, gather a bunch of men and put Jesus in the midst of them, you wouldn't even recognize who he was. Because he looked just like everyone else. Except in his eyes and in his words and in his character, he was full of grace and mercy and truth. The person of Jesus, fully God, fully man, and the most wonderful man that has ever walked on the face of the earth. Amen? The second thing they sang about after his person, they sang about his passion. Verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. God becoming a man is already an infinite measure of humility. I'm looking at many of you right now, young people, it's good to see a lot of you here today. And of the ones I'm looking at right now, I know you've got siblings. And I know that maybe the oldest sibling is probably here right now looking at your younger siblings. And I know how difficult it is sometimes to humble yourself below your younger brother or your younger sister. Moms and dads, they have a difficult time with that? Yeah, I'm sure they do. I was always the youngest, and I don't remember my siblings humbling themselves below me. But we know how difficult that is. And we learn how difficult it is from the very beginning of life when we have to learn to humble ourselves below our friends and share our things with them. We have difficulty with it from the very beginning of life. Think of the humility of God coming down to be a man. That is an infinite measure. And as a man, he further humbled himself to become a servant, not only to the Father, but to mankind as well. Remember what Paul says about humility. 
He says that it's loving without selfish ambition, without being conceited, and it's looking out for the interests of others. So with that in mind, when did Jesus ever care more about himself than his Father? Never. In fact, Jesus said once, I always do those things that please my Father. Everything I do is to please the Father. Jesus would also say, in that Garden of Gethsemane, when perhaps we can look at it and say, Jesus, here's your chance right now to get out of this situation. But what did, what did Jesus say? It's not my will, but Father, yours be done. He served his Father, and he served mankind. Again, when did Jesus ever care more about himself and his own interests and his own needs before others? There are so many examples in the Bible where Jesus was preaching and teaching for hours and hours, traveling distance that took hours and hours. And there were times where he was so tired, he just wanted to sort of get away, go onto a mountain somewhere and just rest and be with the Father. And do you know what would happen? Somebody would see him and they would gather thousands of people to go and find him because they needed to be healed and they needed other deliverances. And when Jesus saw them, out of his thirsty heart, out of his body that's hungry and so exhausted, it says that he had compassion on them and he healed all who were sick. So many times Jesus went without food and he went without water in order to meet another person's need. In fact, the disciples were often worried about him. You're not eating. You're not sleeping. You're not drinking. Eat something. But they learned, more important than that is to do the will of my Father, and I am here to serve others. Whether it was a woman he met at the well or the thousands of people who needed some food, and he fed them with some bread and fish. In the plan of salvation, the Son humbled himself to be obedient to the Father. And he took on the form of a servant in order to bring about our redemption. And that humility and obedience, it led him all the way to death. And speaking of that death, do you know that in the Bible, oftentimes, even Jesus spoke of it this way, any time, or most of the time, the Bible talks about the sufferings of Jesus, the, 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 the beatings, the crucifixion, and all the things that he went through. Instead of saying all those things, they just call it his suffering. And that word suffering encompasses all of those things, being arrested, beaten, mocked, scourged, crucified. And even Jesus said, I must suffer. Well, do you know that in the New Testament, am I out of time already? The red card is showing. In the New Testament, when it talks about the suffering of Jesus, I love in the King James Version of the book of Acts because it doesn't say after Jesus suffered. 
It says, after the passion of Jesus. Because that word for suffering can also be translated as passion. And it was a passionate heart for the Father and a passionate heart for the lost that Jesus suffered all that he suffered. His humility led him all the way to his death. And not just death, but death by crucifixion. And that was the one thing that Paul had the most difficulty with in life. He could understand that when the Messiah comes, that he would be equal to the Father. That's what the Old Testament said. He could understand that the Messiah would suffer and die because that's what Isaiah said would happen. But the one hang-up he had was that Jesus crucified? That can't be. That can't be. Paul rejected the cross for that reason because the cross was reserved for the most horrific of all criminals. It was such a brutal, painful death that if you were a Roman citizen, you didn't have to die that way. That's how bad it was. They wanted you to suffer for as long as possible. And Paul, to think that Messiah would be crucified of all things, I just can't believe it. But one day, Paul met Jesus while on the road to Damascus. He knew that Jesus was crucified, and then he met the risen Savior. And after that, Paul, in his life, began to cling to the truth of the cross. And one day he would say, I will not boast in anything, but I will boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because by it, the world has been crucified to me, and I am crucified to the world. He learned to embrace that cross. The passion. And last, number three, they sang of his position. His position. And we'll read the last three verses all together for this one. Therefore, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus died on the cross for us. He was raised to life on the third day, and today he sits at the right hand of God. All the glory and splendor that he did not hang on to, but put it aside when he came into the world, it is all now his again. And notice what Paul calls him in this verse. He doesn't call him Christ Jesus. He calls him now Jesus Christ. Because in the beginning, it was God who came in the flesh. But after he died and rose again, it was the man Jesus who was highly exalted, the Christ and the Lord over all. Amen. The name of Jesus. His name means the Lord is salvation. There are many people in the world with that name, Jesus. A lot of them in South America, Jesus. So are we to honor everybody who's named Jesus? Of course not. 
The name means the Lord is salvation. And there is one who has fulfilled that very name. And that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's not because of the name per se. It's because of the one who bears that name and who has fulfilled that name as Lord of salvation. And it says, every knee will bow. Those in heaven, all the angelic hosts of heaven, and even the angels that sinned, including Lucifer, they will bow to the Lord. And all those who have lived on the earth and all of those who will go to hell. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. As Savior, God allowed men to hate Jesus, to reject Him, to mock Him, to beat Him and crucify Him. As Savior, people today still curse Him. They use His name as a punchline to a joke. They treat Him like dirt. God allowed that and still allows that. But as Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. God will ensure that all will bow and confess one day that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so in closing, musicians, we can have you come up. One day, we will either declare Jesus Christ is Lord. We will either declare that with eternal joy and praise as we sing and rejoice around His throne in heaven. Or we will declare Jesus Christ is Lord with tears of eternal pain, loss, torment, and regret. What will decide this? Whether we sing it in heaven or we proclaim it in hell. What decides that for us? If you make the choice today, while you are on this earth with breath to breathe, if you will today bow your life and confess Jesus Christ is Lord, then you will sing it for all eternity in the presence of Christ and all the angels and all the church. Amen? It's his person, his passion, and his position. The great Christmas hymn, he humbled himself. Amen. Let's stand together. I asked the musicians to lead us in a song today that's an old song. You may not know it, but it declares that Jesus is Lord. And so if you will, sing that with us today. Every knee shall bow. 
every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you believe it, sing it with us. He is Lord, He is Lord, He has risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Every knee, including ours. Shall bow every tongue, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. Amen. Sing it again. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ. Lord, oh, come, let us adore. Who is he? Christ. Amen. Christ the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh God, let this be a reminder to us today how beautiful you are, our God. We don't only see your glory and beauty when we look at creation. All the universe cries out, you're a glorious God. All of creation cries out, you're a glorious God. But when we see Jesus, you are glorious. You are love. You are gracious, 
You are merciful. And through Jesus Christ, you are our Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking upon humility. Thank you for coming in this world, taking on the flesh of man, and going through all the hurts and all the pains and all the trials of life that we also must walk through. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you can identify with us in our weaknesses. And thank you, Jesus, that that life that you gave on the cross was perfect and holy and righteous. And it is what we have received, those who believe in you. Lord Jesus, I believe that there are many in the world today, and maybe we're guilty of this, we're ready to declare Jesus is Savior so that we can receive all the benefits of salvation. But are we ready to declare Jesus as Lord, Master, God, the one that we follow and obey and live to please? Oh, I pray in all of our hearts right now, God, that Jesus Christ will be Savior and Lord. And we will give you our life, oh God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you for your passion that brought you to the cross. And thank you that today you are risen from the dead, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And the next time you step off that throne, you are coming to receive us to our eternal home to be with you forever. Thank you, God, for what Christmas means. Thank you that they've been singing these words since the beginning of the church. And so we shall sing them as well. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, you humbled yourself. And because of that, we are saved. Thank you. Thank you. And now, Lord, as we close our service, I thank you, Lord, for everybody that's here today. Lord, I know for many that are here, it may still be an uncomfortable thing to leave home, to go somewhere, to be in church with other people. But God, I give you thanks that they were willing to come today, to be in your presence and to glorify you. And so for all of us who are gathered in your name, we always pray, God, for protection, for good health, and for strength in our lives. That you will not only keep us safe from sickness, but rid this world of this disease. With one word, Jesus, you can speak a word, and all can be brand new now. Until then, God, help us to love one another. Help us to have peace in our hearts. And help us to glorify you in everything that we do. To your church, oh God, I pray. God bless you. May God keep you. May he shine his face brightly with the radiance of Christ upon your life. May you know the grace of Christ and the peace of Jesus Christ. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may you remember, church, look up, because Jesus is still on the throne, and He rules and reigns as Lord and Savior. And there's also a banner, and it waves above you.
and the Lord has written upon that banner, I love you. Go in that peace. Go in that grace. Go in that truth. And may the name of Jesus be glorified in you today, this week, and forevermore. And now we pray in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, in His name we all say together, Amen. 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 Praise God and Merry Christmas to all. God bless you.